Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Across the UK, online and on DAB. <laughs> Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. Femba can go to hell. Topical talk, outspoken opinion and inspirational conversation on the Hour of Badass Power. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators but no one compares. Minter, Campbell and Sexton are your all-new Saturday Night Super Squad. Badass Women's Hour on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. One, two, three! Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the good news we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-host Natalie Campbell. And this week we also have Melanie Sabie. Hello, welcome Melanie. I welcome back. Here. Thank you, thank you. Part of the team. Woo! team. <laughs> Melanie is standing up with the lovely Emma Sexton who's not very well this week. So get well soon, Ems. Uh, but this week we are here with you for the next hour talking about the things that have really grabbed our attention and the stuff that's making us mad this week, including New Zealand's new Labour leader and should we ask her about whether or not she's going to have kids, Game of Thrones, do you know, only four episodes written by women, why is that? Plus we've got the amazing women behind Digital Mums, a new company which helps mums get back into work and we'll be doing our regular badass balls up where we ask for your problems and try and solve them with all our wisdom. First up, though, we're looking at the big stories this week. Melanie, what are you talking about? So, uh, yes, let's start. I'm, I was angry. As soon as I read the headline, I was angry when the New Zealand Labour leader, just you know, just a few days after being in office, was asked about her baby plans. So she's only the second ever female leader of the New Zealand Labour Party, isn't she? Exactly. The second only female leader. And you know what? To be fair, she has been an advocate uh, or not even just a spokesperson in regards to women and their choices in entering the labor market or in the labor market as well as, you know, having children and what that should be done. So she did open herself up She and, and she has acknowledged that. However, on live TV, she was asked if she should have or if she was going to have a baby. And the justification used was that, you know what, a country should know if their PM is going to have to step down in terms of maternity leave. So... Basically, Twitter went in uproar, and it feels like people feel like New Zealand really didn't rep for women on that day at all. Now, what do you think? Should we be asking up front? When it comes to the leadership of the country, I think it's absurd to think that a woman could not have a baby and run a country. I mean, we can do we can do lots more, and you know, there's all sorts of things that she can do around help. But also, there are two people in this. You know, yep. if she's running the country, 
her partner, I don't know if her partner is male or female, but they could be looking after the baby. So I think it's an absolutely void question. What I would say is that I started a business uh, nearly seven years ago now. And when I started, um, my business partner uh, was pregnant sort of at month three. And so at month nine, she went off on maternity leave. And as much as she wanted to come back, she didn't. And it, it actually really wounded me. And it was hard running a business that we had um, designed and built together uh, and built around our own sort of ideas and dreams and hopes and aspirations. So for this person to then leave when she was actually thinking about it and to not tell me that wounded me. So when I had my next business partner come on board, it's the first thing she said. She was like, look, I'm about to have some babies. I don't know when, but it's in my it's in my plans. But I'm going to guarantee you that I will come back. And that was important for me. I would not have asked, but I valued her being upfront and telling me that that was her plan. So, and I've been asked before and it doesn't specifically bother me, but I think this is an odd question to ask the leader of, of the party. But it's interesting that you've been asked before. Melanie, you said you've been asked before. I've been asked. It's actually illegal, right? It's illegal to ask, particularly in the UK. It's illegal to ask. And yet... Are we doing ourselves a service or a disservice by not asking? Because I know so many small business owners who will say to me, I won't employ a woman of a certain age because I don't know if she's going to go off on maternity leave or not. Now, the only thing that's going to fix that is when men go off on maternity leave at the Mm -hmm. same rate. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just a female issue. But I do think actually having an upfront conversation with somebody and saying, look, if you are, what do you expect from me? What can I expect from you? How do you want this to work? What do you want our relationship to look like? Surely that's a better way of doing it? The problem isn't the conversation. The problem is is that we're not geared up as as a society to respect it and to be able to act on it for both parents. And we expect that if a woman is having a baby, she's going to be at home and unavailable and, and not be useful and functional. And there's still a stigma to women being able to work or not work and have children. Whereas in other countries, it's pretty much a case of if you're having children, that's great. We'll work around it. You can come back. And we don't care if it's the man or woman who looks after the child. But there is a lot of that here. There's a lot of stigma. If you're a woman and you are thinking that at some point in the future you want to have a child, should you be telling employers about that up front? Mel, what do you think? Yes or no? I think no. I I would not tell my employer up front And that is only because I don't need to even have your decision making, your issues in my mind. Having a child is such a deeply personal commitment. Whoever is having that child. And I I don't need to think about you. I'm already thinking about somebody else. I already got to think about something that's going to be coming outside of me. I have no, (laughs) ain't nobody got time for your problems right now. Like I just, for women, it is a, a, for women and for men, for anyone to have a child, it's a deeply personal commitment that will impact the rest of their lives. And quite frankly... I am not going to commit to that. And you just never know what happens with pregnancy as well, right? So you make, you're trying, you're miscarrying. Like, it, it, For me, it just, I do not understand why we are at the point where we are still evaluating and loading women's personal choices. Like it's still, it makes absolutely no sense to me. I do. So really, we need to get to a point actually where we're saying, do you know what? Women are having children, men are having children. You need to be smart enough with your employment plans to yeah. work out how you manage yeah. that. Uh, so, uh, so, and have people, listeners, have you had a baby? Have you been on maternity leave? Have you been asked in a job interview? Did somebody ask you, are you planning to have kids? Do you want to tweet us, let us know? What do you think is the way that we get around it? At Badass Women's Hour, HR at Badass Women's Hour. Uh, so, section two, our second story this week, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Oh, Mel and I, obsessed. Nat, Super you haven't fan. watched it? No. I thought this would be totally in your wheelhouse. 
not it's not action is it it's, it's a lot of action there is a lot of action are there guns no are no. there fast old car school, chases old school action no. are buildings like wars there's wars no. so and pillage re- <laughs> no. pillaging the reason we're talking about Game of Thrones this week is not just because it's back on TV but also because actually it comes out that in the seven series only four episodes have ever been written by women and this for me is interesting because when you watch a Game of Thrones a Game of Thrones episode you'll notice some weird things happen like they'll talk about politics and as they're talking about politics a woman a naked woman will just casually <laughs> stroll behind them when you told me this I was like what <laughs> for no reason or you know they'll think that the whole thing needs a bit of geeing up a bit of chemistry being brought in so they'll just have a little rape scene as you do and I wonder, would that be different if more women had been involved in the writing process? Melanie, you're not so sure because of the source material, right? Yes. So I've, I'm also a big fan of the books. Um, read the books uh, quite a few years ago now. And it was definitely a, a gendered perspective, a gendered story. Sci-fi, fiction, fantasy, they, it has, as an industry, there's a problem. Um, one of my favorite authors, N.K. Jemisin, is celebrated because she is a mixed-race woman. And the story is about a mixed-race woman. So it's fantastic. And she writes in sci-fi. And she writes sci-fi fantasy. And that's really interesting that she's NK. Yeah, exactly. She goes by her initials, yeah? Exactly, exactly. So I do think that it wouldn't have changed very much from... It it would still be a very heavily loaded gendered perspective just because, number one, you know, people will say it's historical. And number two, it was written by... Originally by George R.R. Martin. On the other hand, let's keep it real, the, the diversity is so failing in that show. It's just, you know... That's one scene that everyone speaks about with Daenerys and she was being crowd surfed by all the brown people. And Daenerys has is like this very... <laughs> she is so and, yes, It was so... You know, they're, they're coming under fire. So I, I anticipate... <laughs> I can't believe that was a scene. Is it, really it, was, a scene? it was a scene and it was... It, the Twitter just blew up afterwards. <laughs> oh, um, th- they have death walkers. They have wolves. They have people who are trees. And all now, the only people... Only brown people that they can have are... Um, slaves, like the, the the tropes are real. Slaves who are liberated by a white women, right? Uh, yes, exactly, <laughs> and crowd surfed. So, do you, how do we get more diversity? Because this is an issue through the whole industry, right now. Yeah, but my question before was: Do we think any of this would be different if the if the script was written by a woman or directed by a woman? Would yes. it be different? Yes, if you look at we're making an assumption here. Yes, look at if you look at Ava DuVernay for example and what she has done. So not only she just uh, not only she's creating these stories and directing these stories, all of the producers, the writers, the voice, and you'll find that the women aren't as troped. So you know all you have in Game of Thrones is the matriarch or the sexy woman, the whore. Like it's the tropes are so real where you find that there are more complex identities. But, but, but like you guys are new watching black, this. You guys are watching it and enjoying it. So this is my confusion. So I was saying before, I don't watch it, but social media shows me a view of Game and Game of Thrones and other movies that it knows will appeal to me. So all I knew about it was there are lots of strong women and and people are fighting for these women and these women are leading stuff and killing people. Mm-hmm. There's some guy called Jon Snow and there are black people. That's all I knew. And so I was like, I so this must this... be really good. I'm not not good enough to watch it, but it must be really good. And you guys were like, no, that's not the case. And it is great, right? So this is the bizarre thing. We're sitting here critiquing it. Obviously, I'm going home this weekend <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm sitting down with my, my glass of wine and some popcorn and right. I'm watching it. And I don't think that it's a bad show and I don't think it's wrong to do this, but I just think, would it be a different show? And what else could we be seeing if maybe there'd been a female director, a female, few more female writers, just a different take on it. 
I mean, would we just have seen more willies, maybe? That's what I'm asking. <laughs> That's what I'm asking. We don't even get to see the willies anymore. <laughs> but you're making an assumption that a woman would do that. Why would a, a no. woman might continue with the, with the same same narrative if if it relates to the book i'm and that's my question how different would it have been i agree I, and, and i think we're actually you know, the reality is we will never know mm-hmm. until we have more women doing it get on it get on game it game of thrones people uh so our third story this week nat what has got you excited this week <laughs> <laughs> well i say excited there was a, an article this week that highlighted something that we all know that sex is just as important to older women as ruled by european court uh the background to the story is is that um a 50 year old woman in portugal uh had a botched gynecological um, uh, procedure and the court said you know you shouldn't get any compensation because sex is not important once you get to a certain age she was like this is not true went to another court they overturned it and said sex is very very important and then i also realized that it was national orgasm day on the 31st of july and for some reason it bypassed most people it did not pass me by and i think it's something that we should be talking about in the same way that there are you know we don't talk about Lots of things related to women. Having orgasms and pleasure is something that we do not talk about as women. So talking to us about that now on the line, we have Stephanie Ellis, who's the founder of Mystery Vibe, which is a new vibrator product for women. Um, I can vouch. It's fantastic. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. So why do you think it's important that we have a National Orgasm Day? Well, um, I think that orgasm and masturbation are one of, if not the most accessible ways to experience pleasure. So we should absolutely take this opportunity to focus on and celebrate topics like masturbation and pleasure. And having a day to do that, I think, is a great way to do it. And do you think we talk about it enough? Because I feel like I, I talk about orgasms with my girlfriends <laughs> quite a lot, to be honest. But has it? Have we kind of has the impetus gone off it now? Have we just assumed that it's happening for everyone? Well, I think one interesting way that the way we're talking about this is changing is the focus is shifting as well from um, orgasm to pleasure more broadly. Mm. Um, I think orgasm for a very long time has been seen as this kind of goal, this activity, this thing just to reach for the sake of reaching it. Um, But we're now starting to focus on uh, pleasure more broadly, encompassing more than just orgasm. Um, which can sometimes be very distracting for women if they're thinking, I need to achieve an orgasm, that's the reason I'm having sex, um, can lead to quite a stressful experience for them. So the narrative is also focusing on things like sensation and touch um, and the different ways we can experience pleasure more broadly, which is, I think, really fascinating. Interesting. Thank you so much, Stephanie. So tell us, if you do you think we focus on orgasm too much? Should it be about pleasure? Should it be about touch? Should we actually be talking about the wider sexual experience? Tweet us at Badass Women's Hour HR and tell us your views. What do you think? Did you know Orgasm Day was happening? Did you have an orgasm or orgasm day? Well done if you timed it and put it in your calendar. <laughs> uh, so we're going to take a little break. But coming up afterwards, we have the fan- founders of Digital Mums, uh, an amazing company that's really helping mums boost their digital skills, get back in the workplace and actually take advantage of the whole social media revolution. We'll be talking to them about how they launched it and what we can all do to boost our online presence. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking.
Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions you can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-host Natalie Campbell. And this week we also have the lovely Melanie Eusebi standing in for Emma Sexton. And now we are joined by Nikki Cochran and Catherine Tyler, founders of Digital Mums. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Hi. So tell us uh, briefly, what is Digital Mums? Oh, at Digital Mums, uh, we support uh, mothers to get back into the workplace. We train them up with in-demand digital skills. They tend to become freelancers working with small businesses. And we're also trying to bring flexibility to the workplace by now starting to train businesses to understand how they can have a more flexible workforce. Amazing. And how did it come to be? Um, you t- you're very good at telling. You're, you're much <laughs> better at I am. <laughs> okay, so how did it come to be? Um, Catherine and I both wanted to set up our own business. We wanted um, our business to do good. We wanted to change the world. Um, so the first business we came up with was um, a not-for-profit PR agency called Hackney Social, and we were going to help all the businesses in Hackney, every single one of them. <laughs> um, we soon realised that actually we couldn't do it by ourselves, and <laughs> what we needed was an army uh, to help us um, support all the small businesses, not just in Hackney, but you know throughout the UK mm. and you know beyond. And that's when we realised, that's really how Digital Mums was born, um, because what we realised was with social media, you needed someone who was able to understand business strategy. Um, We also knew that this was a job that could be done flexibly, it could be done part-time. Businesses only need someone for one to two days a week, sometimes more as they grow. So it was a perfect job for a mum to do from home. Yeah, and then basically Hackney Social just became the unloved child. And, um, <laughs> digital mum happens. started to grow from strength to strength. And then we managed to get equity investment, which mm. I think was um, other people telling us it was also a good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because obviously we were like, oh, we think that's a good idea. And then we got equity investment, which has helped us to scale. Um, and that's what's got us to where we are today. Amazing. Now, so uh, I, a couple of questions. Um, tell me more about flexible working and... I, my core question is, what is it? Because I think, for me, I I automatically think of a liquid workforce and talent that's anywhere, and it's about the deliverable. But for someone working within a large corporate, they, they will think about flexible working as something completely different. So firstly, more on that. And you mentioned a business being good and being a force for good. Uh, I want to know more about that because, again, I don't think there, there are two things that people automatically consider to be true. So... Two things for you. Catherine, Uh, tell us about flexible working to start with. So flexible working, um, it means different things to different people. um, And I think that sometimes is part of the problem. Mm. Um, I think often when people think of flexible working, they think, oh, someone works part time. Mm -hmm. Other people will think, oh, that means that I can work from home. Mm -hmm. Um, It's all of those things. It's job shares. It's core office hours and being able to work um, flexibly around core office hours. It might be working from home. It might be working from a cafe. Ultimately, it's about moving to, I guess, a more kind of blended work-life model where you're empowered. Mm. As long as you do your job really well um, and your agreement and arrangement works for yourself and also the business that you work for, um, you know, it's kind of up for grabs as to how you kind of make it work. Is it not just about the output? Because that's how I frame it. So it doesn't matter if you're working term time or four hours a day or one day a week. As long as you deliver what the business needs, who cares where you are or how much time it takes you? Um, Yes, it's definitely output focus. So um, I think if you measure only things in number of hours, Mm. um, it's it's more of a challenge for you to kind of get your head around. We definitely have more of an output focused culture. But realistically, for some job roles, you do have to be 
in an office sometimes. And I think it's just about uh, employees and employees having a, just a really honest and frank discussion and being very open minded about different ways of working and coming to arrangement that suits everyone. We have some people that come into the office. They don't need to, but they like to. Mm. Uh, it makes them feel part um of the business and what we're doing and they like the interaction and hanging out with their colleagues and then we equally have some people who never come in they don't need to come in for any reason um, and it's just about what works for you and what works for your employer at the same time and tell me more about good what does it mean to be a good business and a business that cares i'll hand that over to my work wife <laughs> <laughs> okay so for starters um that was a hundred percent what Catherine and i wanted to do we wanted to be a business that did good um so it was really interesting because before I met Catherine, I didn't, I hadn't heard of the term social enterprise. Mm. Um, I'd already w- always worked for like you know, for-profit commercial businesses, um, and I knew about charities, but I didn't actually know there was something in between. So it was it was quite an education for me, and that's um, through Catherine I realised that's a hundred percent what we wanted to do. Um, it was really important to us um, to ensure that when we set up Digital Mums, we were able to reach every single type of mum to make sure they could all do our training. Mm-hmm. Um, what we've done, and there's so many different ways that you can set up a social enterprise, but what we do is we have a bursary fund mm-hmm. for low-income mums, mm-hmm. and what we do is 10% um, of all our revenue goes into that pot, so it means that we're able to support women on low incomes mm-hmm. do our training. Great. Do you think that's going to be the future of actually business and training? Because I look now at like how much it costs for people to go to university, how like just even how difficult it is to get onto apprenticeship apprenticeship schemes. Is it actually should we all start to be thinking about how do we put some of our revenue, some of our profit into bringing up a generation and creating a bit of social mobility? Social mobility is obviously one of the biggest challenges. I think part of the problem is that schools are really badly designed. Um, So when I worked at Innovation Unit, which is a social enterprise 100% focused on public sector innovation, I worked with some of the most innovative schools from all over the world that are doing just incredible things that make their schools quite unrecognisable to the schools that we have, uh, where their pupils are just really engaged in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. When asked, um, you know, what do you do when you go home? Do you do your homework? They said, no, I spend hours working on my project. That, that are set passion-led projects that they kind of work on in school uh, high tech high and big picture learning just doing really amazing things um, we built our kind of training on the back of what they knew and their kind of design principles and models around learning and I think that's one of the biggest problems is that our schools are just not fit for purpose and if you bought an iPhone and it only worked for like 50% of the population you just (laughs) wouldn't consider that to be a good product yet our schools are failing 50% um, and it's usually people that from the most sort of disadvantaged background so I think transforming schools is the first thing and then obviously as you move out of school you move more into the kind of adult learning space which is equally not very innovative you've got um replicated chalk and talk classroom models delivered online uh, you know really low completion rates people are just not interested so I think it's kind of transforming and understanding the way that we learn is just such a massive thing in that social mobility sort of conversation do you think sorry Mel go I'm actually we've skipped around to so many topics but I just wanted to find out exactly what is your offering to the market so if I go to your website how do I buy something from you how do i because yeah. we, we've talked about so many other things but actually it's like, you're okay, still like wait, what, what do they do exactly what do you do so i know you do all this empowerment in the background yeah. but how what do you put out there okay so if you were a mum 
and you came to our website, mm -hmm. you would have the choice of two different training courses. And it has to be a mum coming to your website. It can't be just random Stan. It's just <laughs> <laughs> random Stan. Um, he comes to your website, then what can he do for, you well, know? random can... Stan, if he has a business, he can hire a digital mum mm. who will be fully trained. <laughs> um, there's something for Stan um, and there's something for the mums as well. So uh, currently two training programs. One um, is more targeted for those with a prior marketing background. Um, that's where we started. Um, and the secondary program that we've launched is really for mums with any professional backgrounds. Mm. And do you do it for digital dads? For stay-at-home dads? No, our, our core vision is about uh, maternal discrimination. Mm. Um, and what we always say is if paternal discrimination was a massive issue, then we would be <laughs> definitely tackling that. Uh, we're kind of investigating an online course that anyone could buy, which is kind of support free. It's more of a, a kind of content led course, which dads potentially could buy. But ultimately, our core vision <laughs> is around supporting mums. We've had a couple of dads come and ask us if they could do the training and we've pointed them to other social media training that they can do. Um, and I think one of the reasons this is really important is that... Um, a lot of the mums that come to us, they're quite low confidence. It's very easy to kind of talk over them. Um, and uh, they often will breastfeed in their peer groups um, when they're kind of working together. Or we've, you know, we've, we've often had, you know, like sort of kids coming in and, and it's just a very safe space for them. And they work in kind of groups of five or groups of seven. And that peer group relationship for them is very important. And the dynamic of that, I think, is you have to think about quite carefully. And as soon as you start introducing men into that dynamic... Um, it can change and we've had feedback from the moms that they wouldn't feel as comfortable learning on their journey uh, if they were kind of other people other than moms in that in that with them so if i was putting your whole story together you started digital moms as a ultimately because you wanted to create a business that did good um you recognize a gap around supporting mothers back into the workplace and now you're saying well let's revolutionize business and industry across the board and make it about flexible working so everyone can benefit from different practice so if I am either a mum who wants to find out a bit more or I'm a business that needs some help with their flexible working practices, where can I find you guys? So you can come straight to our website. Um, you can come and chat to us on Twitter. Uh, you can... Do you want to tell us what your website and Twitter are, Madeline? Yes, yeah, so we're <laughs> digitalmums.com and on Twitter we're digitalmumshq. Um, come and chat to us on Instagram. We have webinars every two weeks um, so if you're not ready to chat to one of our team you might just want to join a webinar and just sit back and let everyone else do you know ask the questions you can sort of sit back and I'm sure your questions will get answered there as well fabulous uh, so the digital mums team are you going to be hanging around to answer our badass balls ups help us with our problem pages 100% yes yes uh, and that is coming up next and we're going to be talking about what to do when your other half gets a job abroad and uh, being bullied at work particularly when it comes from other women how do we deal with it badass women's hour with Harriet Minter Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on talk radio she'll get you talking when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter. I'm joined by my co-host Natalie Campbell. And standing in from a section this week, we have the lovely Melanie Eusebi. And we're joined also by the amazing founders of Digital Mums, Nikki Cochran and Catherine Tyler. Thanks for being with us, ladies. So this is our Badass Balls Up section. It's the point of the show where we use our combined over 100 years of wisdom to try and solve your problems. Sometimes we're helpful. Uh, not always, but we can try. <laughs> and of course, if you ever want to send us a problem, if you've got something you want some help with, you can find us on Twitter at Badass Women's Hour, HR, at Badass Women's Hour, or on Instagram, Facebook, all the socials. Do tell us your problems because we love to hear them. Nat, yours is up first. What have you got? So this one comes from Vanessa and she says, I have a PhD and I'm working in a top job within an organisation. My work-life balance is good and I consider myself good looking. However, as soon as I reveal to someone I'm dating how educated and successful I really am, they seem to lose interest. Why is that and what can I do? I don't want to play down my intelligence and I've worked hard to be in the position I am right now, but I really want to date someone. Oh my God. So this just, (sighs) have you seen, so did you read the news about this a few weeks ago, which actually showed that basically overly educated women finding it much, much harder to have to find a partner because men just don't want to commit to them. It's Harvard Harvard Business Review. So even Harvard are like doing research into this because they're like, what is what is the problem with the men not loving the educated women? On online dating, I have I had two different profiles at first. One said that I was a professor, like the actual title on my business card, and the other one said that I was a teacher or an educator. You know what profile got a little bit more attention, ladies. Really? <laughs> yeah. Just being a teacher? Just literally that changed as soon as the professor thing came in. Or you would ask, or they would say, oh, so where do you teach? Oh, this school? What kind of, what do you teach? Business? What, like to nine-year-olds? No, to 50-year-old men. (laughs) (laughs) Nikki, Catherine, you both run like a really, like a successful business. Do people, particularly in your kind of personal lives, do you find you have to downplay it? Do you upplay it? How do you manage it? I'm very honest about it, but I I mean, 100% have spoken to men that seem slightly intimidated. Mm. Uh, weirdly, I used to be a geneticist and people were more intimidated by that. They thought that was way more impressive. <laughs> I would be super yeah. intimidated. I'm, I mean, that's it wasn't so at all. cool. I'm intimidated right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intimidated right now. <laughs> it's much harder to run a business. So that one was really funny. If I was at parties, people would be like, wow, they'd ask me some questions about Dolly the sheep. Um, <laughs> but they would definitely be very intimidated. So I personally have experienced that. How did you handle it? Um, so in terms of how I handle it, I never downplay. Like that, You don't want to end up with someone that is actually intimidated by you. So you need to find a strong man. Interestingly, I think that maybe straight men need to talk to gay men who seem to love the fact mm. that like, we're all yeah. very empowered yes. and intelligent. Um, so I don't know quite what's happening there. Um, so I would never downplay it, uh, but it is, it is frustrating because it, there are definitely men who... Uh, 
who are slightly scared, but you just have to find those ones who aren't. And some men do love it. You just have to find those. And I think the other thing is about actually finding the point of connection, right? It's the same thing with everyone. You have to find the thing that, for the two of you, bonds you. Mm. And I don't, I, I don't know if it's an education thing. I think it might be a money thing. Mm. I think when people mm. see that level of education, they might think you are significantly out earning me. We're going to have totally different lives, particularly for men. Not always, but particularly for men. And when we're talking about heterosexual relationships, there's that element of I should be the provider. And so they back away. I suggested um, meeting someone through a hobby because that way you're meeting um, through something you both enjoy. You're meeting from a place of respected values long before the concept of what you do for work and all of this other stuff comes in. And if you've got that connection, it overrides things because I, I, def- I have definitely, definitely met men. And as soon as they realise what I do, it just... it. It, it turns them off and they, they they come up with a perception and persona of who they think I am. You know, independent, too outspoken, all of this stuff that yeah. may, might be true. <laughs> On the other hand, though, I do have some friends, you know, genderless, doesn't really matter, who who kind of throw that down your, your in your face. So they, they have to reemphasize, this is how educated I am. This mm-hmm. how it's, So I would also, you know, just take a quick glance in the mirror and make sure that it's not this, you know, you're mm-hmm. not throwing it in True. people's faces actually because of your, you know, maybe issues within you because that is also uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Great point. Thank you. Uh, so our second question this week, Melanie, you've got it. What is it? So this is uh, from our friend, beautiful, lovely Charlotte via Instagram. And she says, my senior co-worker is bullying me, but my colleagues and bosses won't act on it. What can I do to resolve the situation? Girl. <laughs> bullying at work is so tough. And mm. this particular, this particular problem is, and I am so angry about this because I just, I do believe we have a greater responsibility as women. This is a woman bullying another woman and mm-hmm. I am not happy about it. Nikki, you've had this problem. What did you do? Um, I was a lot younger. So what the way I dealt with it then was would be very different to how I would deal with it now. Um, I think the thing is about bullying is that it doesn't have to be really loud and in your face. It can be really subtle little things. Passive aggressive. Really passive aggressive. So that's what was happening to me. Um, I was being managed by a woman who would say, oh, you know, you're too busy to come to lunch and, you know, don't talk to anyone else on this desk because they're too busy to talk to you. So she really kind of, you know, siloed me from the rest of the team so so I couldn't really talk to anyone about it. And to be honest with you, what I did in the end is I just walked out the door and I just never went back. <laughs> I mean, what that's not really do? the answer. I think sometimes it is there. I do sometimes think if you're in a situation where you've got a colleague who behaves like that and that is acceptable to the organisation... Mm. You have to be like, is this an organisation that I want to be part of? But what else would you do now, do you think? Well, so what I did do at the time is I did go and speak to the HR department. And what they did is they set... Well, what they wanted us to do is sit down and have a group discussion. Um, The minute I raised um, that I was being bullied, they then started to take it very, very seriously. Um, I think it's quite scary bringing up that term, though, because you feel like you're making a big deal of something. You're also a little bit worried about the sort of the ramifications, what's going to yeah. happen, because once I put that word out there, you can't take it back. So I think that's why a lot of us or a lot of people potentially put up with it for too long. But I think you've just got to so you've just got to be really honest and say how you're feeling. No one can tell you you don't feel like that. You know, in this instance, with bullying, is it's all it's it's insider outsider syndrome. So I would say find a friend outside of the organization. You can actually go and speak to lawyer, uh, you know, a lawyer about it and say 
are is this inappropriate or is this appropriate? There are some senior women out there who've come to me and said, this is what's being done to me. And they are, you know, in the C-suite. And I cannot believe they're sitting there and, and, and even questioning that this is right, in the, you know, if, if it's right or wrong. So I would say, find, do acknowledge the fact that you're feeling hurt and you're feeling persecuted mm-hmm. and find that girlfriend and speak to them. Find a lawyer outside, just find outside counsel of that group just so that you're able to reinforce the fact that you have, you know, that you're a person and that, you know, just because I think you do need reinforcing in terms of feelings because bullying at work, it can really undermine your your life, your value, the, the, your contribution to a company mm-hmm. and then get that advice to go back inside and speak to HR rather than just going straight there because you, you need reinforcement. You need your you need your squad. Get a squad, girl. <laughs> Definitely get a squad. Always have a girl gang. Um, so our final question this week, uh, this comes from Julia on Facebook, and she says, my other half has got a job abroad. We've only been together six months. We're getting on really, really well. It's the best relationship that I've ever had. But I'm not sure I'm ready to give up my whole life and move halfway across the world with them. They want me to... I could potentially get a job out there. I could be able to work. But is it a massive mistake? What should I do? Now, would Stages. you move? So would I move? Good question. I think maybe it's about stages. If I was younger, you know, why not? Because if it all goes wrong, you can always come home. Now, at 33, I think I would say, right, you go. Let's see how this progresses over a couple of months. I will come out and visit you. Let's get a grounding to this relationship first. And if we think this has long-term potential, and for me, long-term potential is we're going to have that public proclamation. I have a different thing for marriage. It's a public proclamation. If that's going to happen, then I would consider moving. But I, I would do it based on knowing that I could still have the life that I want. I would not completely give up my life to live under someone else's limelight, personally. I, do you think it's taking it in stages? Uh, Nikki, Catherine, what do you think? Taking the stage or should you just go for it? Well, I would definitely take it in stages, certainly now. I mean, because I have a lot of commitments now mm. at home, so I wouldn't be able to just up and leave or well, my dog for a start. <laughs> I mean, my dog can't fly. So, like, we, you know, so, you know, anywhere, any long-term relationship is going to have to be somewhere that we can, like, take a boat to. Um, I've always quite fancied a long-distance relationship, to be honest with you. That's I feel like it's right? like, like I've, I've always quite fancied Paris or New York. <laughs> and I quite like, you know, once a month um, my sister's husband has just moved to um, Luxembourg for just you know um, a a year contract and it's working out quite nicely for them (laughs) fly in fly out a little bit of space it's never a bad thing (laughs) Um, I I just echo the thoughts around that I would need to make sure that I could have the life that I wanted it's very unhealthy for a relationship if, if your partner has this great job and you gave up a great job because even if you potentially could have had you know the rest of your life together you're not going to have the rest of your life together if you've got that slightly unhealthy dynamic yeah. happening so if you think that you could get the job that you wanted in that country um i would definitely think about it. i think stages is a good idea and you've got to think about what's the language mm-hmm. issue because if you don't speak the language you're never going to get that sort of satisfying job maybe yeah. melanie yeah. as somebody who's moved to a new country how do you settle in how do you make sure that you're doing the right thing you um Actually, I, I would say I'm a romantic, so I'd just be like, I'm out. Hi, <laughs> everyone. Talk to you later. It also goes back to our first balls up because that is something that's really important when trying to prioritize love. Because quite frankly, the awards, everything else, the job, it, compared to like a life partner, that's it's it's low, those are low on my priority list. I would also, I, I've also had the experience, though, of moving from country to country and establishing my job as, as a consultant probably makes it easier for me to be able to do that. And, you know, when you first get to the country, you're just, you do everything. Like, you know, the things that you wouldn't do if you were in your home. Mm. 
I, you know, say you, yes to everything. Say yes to everything. <laughs> say yes to everything. Anything that, and then you start to make your own network. But it is a difficult call. But for and it's it's impersonal. It is, and I think you know you have to. I kind of agree with you, Melanie. I think ultimately you just have to go with what the heart wants, the heart wants. Of course wants. you do, exactly. hey. Of course you experience. do. <laughs> go have a lovely life experience. Exactly. Like we have had a lovely life experience here with the gorgeous women from Digital Moms. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we'll be back after this short break to talk about a backdated badass, a woman from history you absolutely need to know about. And this one is all about what she can make. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions you can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter, I'm joined by my co-host Natalie Campbell and this week we also have the lovely Melanie Eusebi standing in for Emma Sexton because she's not very well. Get well soon, Ems. Um, it is the time of our show where we talk about a backdated badass, a woman from history that you absolutely need to know about. And this week's is from Samantha Baines, comedian, author, writer, general superstar. Hello, Sam. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. So tell us, who are you talking about today? Well, I would like to introduce you to Lillian Bland. And who is Lillian Bland? So she was born in 1878, so way back when Victoria was still on the throne. And she was born in Ireland when the potato famine was going on. So it was a really difficult time. But she was actually the first female aviation engineer in the world. She was the first woman to design, build and fly a powered plane in Ireland in 1910. Wow. And how did she get into that? What was her route into that? Well, she's pretty amazing. She actually tried to, um, before she even went into planes, she tried to ride in the Grand National. Um, but they told <laughs> as, her that women do, couldn't yeah. ride in the Grand National. Yeah, I mean, as you do. Um, I don't know why women can't ride in the Grand National. Maybe they asked the horses. <laughs> Can women ride in the Grand National? No. Um, <laughs> oh, Sam. <laughs> there you oh. go. That's terrible. <laughs> I am a UK Pun Championship fighter. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it was actually when she was sent a postcard by her uncle with a plane on it that it kind of got her into thinking about flying. Apparently, she used to wander the hills in Ireland, Carmody Hill, and dream of being up in the clouds one day. Do you want another cloud partner while I'm at it? <laughs> Go, Go on, on then. What did one cloud say to another cloud that was moving to lower altitudes? I don't know. You'll be missed. Oh my god! Well, you really are really really <laughs> It took me a minute. I was like, huh? and then you get it. It's a way. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Story. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, did so, Lillian um, Bland have any history in like engineering design? How did she learn about it? No, she. Well, it was uh, very difficult at the time in Ireland because obviously aeroplane parts and things like that weren't readily available. So she had to kind of look up and read about it. But in the end, she used bike handlebars as the controls for her plane. She's very inventive. And um, she didn't have a petrol tank, so she built one out of a whiskey bottle and her grand's ear trumpet. (laughs) My kind of woman. (laughs) Yeah, it worked for a while, but it didn't quite work with the vibrations in the plane. So eventually she had to get a proper engine. But um, yeah, she did fly in 1910. She flew to a dizzying 30 feet. 
Um, but it was pretty amazing at the time. And she called her plane the Mayfly, which was apparently named after an irritating fly that buzzed around her head while she was building it. But I like to think she had a sense of humour. And the plane's middle name was or may not. <laughs> um Yes, she's an awesome lady. I love the fact that her dad was so concerned about this, that she did this amazing stuff. She became the first woman to fly in Ireland. It was the first bipolar plane in Ireland, all this type of stuff. But her dad was so unhappy about it that eventually the only way he could get her to stop flying was to bribe her with a car. So he bought her a car and then she just started up a car dealership. Yeah, she became the first female Ford dealer in Ireland. Wow. (laughs) She just was not putting it down. And what was it particularly about her that drew you to her? Why why did you pick her? Well, I'm currently doing a show at the moment at the Edinburgh Fringe, and I kind of set myself the challenge of doing a show about the lost women of science. Mm. Because last year I did a show about professor brian cox and my mild obsession with him (laughs) so this is kind of to readdress the balance of doing a whole show about a fella last year um so i tried to look up some women i wanted to discover some women i'd never heard of before and i was kind of drawn to lillian because i'm half irish i mean who isn't but i am (laughs) um and also she's actually anglo-irish because she grew up in kent which is where i grew up my hometown Um, too yeah, and um, but she was she was pretty cool in nineteen in nineteen ten and before in Kent because she wore trousers and smoked and practiced martial arts, which was very strange for a woman at the time. Um, and I too practiced martial arts in Kent when I was growing up in an attempt not to be bland. I know Kent; um, it's still pretty strange for a woman to practice martial arts down there now. Yeah. It is. <laughs> Okay. Well, Sam, thank you so much. Um, anyone who's coming to your show, anyone who's coming to Edinburgh, where can they see you show? See your show. What is it called? When is it on? It's called One Woman, a High Flyer, and a Flat Bottom, <laughs> and it's on every day at three thirty at the Pleasant Courtyard. We're sold out at the moment till the fourteenth of August. Oh, but, congratulations! Um, thanks, but we'll be adding some extra dates, so there'll be um, keep eyes peeled for those. But I talk about Lillian Bland and uh, another couple of amazing lost women I've discovered as well. Fantastic! Well, thank you so much for sharing Lillian with us today, Sam. We've loved hearing about her. Um, so, if you are a high flyer, then you know what? you might have a backdated badass that you want to tell us about. Some woman from history that you are inspired and motivated by. Do tweet us and tell us at Badass Women's Hour HR. Um, or if there's someone you think we should be featuring, make sure we know about it. We want to hear from you too. So we've come to the part of our show where we like to leave you with a little wisdom to live your life by for the next seven days. This is our badass principle. And that, what is it this week? The badass principle this week is move on. And it's inspired partly by Lillian Bland, but also one of the balls up um, conversations we had. Uh, You know, sometimes you might be in a situation and it's just not going your way and you can't see a way through. Sometimes you just need to move yourself, maybe build a plane, find a, a new avenue, but move on. Sometimes the fight is just not worth it. Well, as somebody who has moved, you, you're you pretty good at like mm. upping and moving. Yeah. What are your tips for people who know they need to move on, but they're a little bit scared? I think you're right. It's scary um, to move on and to, but what I all, what I know is that I'll make it, I'll make it through. You know, I will, it may not be perfect, but on the other side of it, I will definitely make it. And I have to kind of look at myself in the mirror and convince myself that there is something better for me. 
on the other side. So that gives me the courage to kind of leave some things behind me. So I'm leaving my flat this weekend, my old flat, which I love. And it's, it's a beautiful flat. But I know that on the other side of me moving to a new place that there are some some glorious and so be like cute doggy walkers <laughs> that I'll meet in my new neighborhood <laughs> so yeah. it's quite it's quite exciting moving requires you to build faith within yourself you have to and there's a in a resilience that comes with that because every time you take a new step that you are unsure of you're like oh I've got this I didn't I didn't fall I didn't you know end up rocking in a corner I, I can do this or even if I did I'm, I'm still standing and, I, and I'm still alive but you have to move in order to know and test yourself I yeah. think I think so. And I think also the other thing about moving on is knowing actually when it's time to say goodbye to stuff. So it's time to say actually this, let's draw a line here and let's take a little minute to Mm -hmm. acknowledge everything it's given me, Mm -hmm. all the good stuff, all the things I've learned, all the things that I wouldn't have experienced without it. And I'm going to say thank you very much. And I'm going to leave it here and move on to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, I have a dress that I, from (laughs) no, seriously, from the age of 22, I have this dress and I had to move on from that dress because Melanie you will never fit into that dress ever again and it's so great because what you do when you move on is that you open up space in your life for you to bring in something that really fits you rather than a closet full of clothes that don't fit you I like it right nice I agree I think yeah make some space move on Uh, move on in fact to talking to us in live live in person you can talk to us on Twitter you can talk to us on Instagram or Facebook at Badass Women's Hour HR at Badass Women's Hour all the socials we love to hear from you so please tell us what you think of the show what you'd like to hear more of any interesting guests we should be covering we're always interested to know what's going on with you but we'll be back here again same time same place next week here on talk radio i've been harriet minter if you want to talk to me in the meantime you can find me at harriet minter nat at nat d campbell and mel at melanie Eusebi. <laughs> and we'll be here again next week Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.